0: Welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Roo Chater. Episode 13 with Matt Crowhurst. Good morning or good afternoon, uh, depending on where in the world you are. I'm currently in Australia still. I've been over here for a week now. I've picked up some good podcasts with a few interesting people. Um, So they'll be coming out in the coming weeks. Uh, This week I've got something a little bit different for you. I'm chatting to a gentleman called Matt Crowhurst who is... Well, I describe him as Mr. Wakeboarding UK. That's how I think of him. So he's a professional wakeboarder. Uh, He also has a very good career as an MC. Um, Works with brands like Arena Cross, uh, talking to the fans on stage and shouting out the tricks for freestyle motocross sports and motocross riding, as well as wakeboarding and many other things. He's an incredibly charismatic guy and a very talented man. Um, I've known him for some time now and you'll hear that in the podcast. He's full of life and a really interesting character. I like Matt because he's a nice bloke but also because he's taken a different approach to his career. He realised he wasn't You know, ever going to be the best wakeboarder on the planet, had a few injuries along the way that held him back, but he still managed to carve one of the most successful wakeboarding careers in the business um, with the talents that he does have. And even though by his own admission, he'll say he's not the greatest wakeboarder on the planet. He's still an incredibly talented athlete. It's a long one, this one, so if you've got a big car journey coming up, this should see you through. It's about an hour and 20 minutes, so the longest one I think I've done so far. Um, but it's just a really interesting conversation, and we talk about the history of wakeboarding, how Matt got into it. Um, And then how his career developed, some of the injuries that he had along the way, and also a little bit about his young family and how he's getting his son Kit and not far off Jasper, I expect, into wakeboarding as well. He's got a lovely wife, Sophie, who drops in halfway through the podcast to refresh us with beers. So thanks for that, Sophie. And I really hope you enjoy this one. As ever, please give this a thumbs up, like it, share it, post it on social media, get it out there as much as possible. I apologise for any truck noises in the background at the moment. I'm sat in a car park at the airport about to hand a hire car back and jump on another aeroplane. Um, but yeah, get it out there, tell your friends about it down the pub, let everyone know about the Intriguing Beings podcast. I've got a special shout out this week to a gentleman called Ollie who works for the Rotnest Express. Um, Ollie came bounding up to me on the beach at the Red Bull Lighthouse to Leighton event, which is why I'm over in Australia, and shook my hand and told me how much he's been enjoying the podcast, which was awesome to actually get a bit of feedback face to face. So great to meet you, Ollie, and thanks for tuning in. Anyway, let's get on with this week's episode. I really hope you enjoy it. So today I'm sat with an interesting guest. Something a little bit different for you this time around because he's not a kiteboarder or a mountain biker. But my guest today is a chap called Matt Crowhurst, who I've known for Matt Damon. <laughs> I've known for some time. Uh, I met him. Uh, I think at one of the events on the White Air Festival, I think it was. Out of photos, you've got to post yes. those photos. I will put the photos up. So we basically met and hadn't been told there was any fancy dress. No, 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 no. I met you before that because you invited me to it. Because hmm. it was
1: like end of season, wasn't it? It was the have, end of season. It we must have, have met surf uh, yes, surf at Surf Shop.
0: Ah, yes, surf Surf Shop. So we met at a surf shop and I said in come a to the In paralytic state somehow and you're like, why you're is there? Good, um, and you came. So anyway, we turned up there and we didn't know it was fancy dress, but it was fancy dress and it was Halloween. So we managed to fashion an outfit out of Underpants toilet paper. And toilet paper. Yeah. And we went as mummies. You also
1: fashioned and you've got to put that photo in. <laughs> an elephant trunk sized phallus <laughs> out of toilet paper.
0: I'm glad you used that word because I can now keep this as a clean box. I'll try and keep rather than uh, <laughs> tick the swear box. What was what do. I was
1: wanting to do on this is, you know, uh, in the Family Guy FCC, yes, where where he, where he just goes like Episcopalian and just beep, beep 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 the whole thing. So if we could add a little section like that, if you want, where I just.
0: I can... I can reel off out. every
1: expletive under the sun. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and make it really hard. <laughs> yeah, early. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can do that. I've got some bubble noises that I'll add on over the top. Um, so Matt's if you've never heard of him, um, what? you should look him up. How dare you! I think of him as Mr. Wakeboard UK is how I describe him to my friends. <laughs> what was really funny was Alex, who we were chatting to uh, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, he actually said that he bumped into someone who did some wakeboarding. So He was like, oh, I met this guy, Matt Crowhurst, the other day. And he was like, oh yeah, Matt Crowhurst, Mr. Wakeboard UK. So there you go. I was kind of right. Um, how did you get into water sports and wakeboarding in particular? What what sort of got you to that first point? So I went, which isn't the route
1: that is now uh, taken by any of the weightboarders, or hasn't been for a very long time. I was one of the, not the first weightboarders in the UK, but one one of the the, the first sort of guys who who, who hit it pretty hard. Uh, I, I went the water skiing route, so I was water skiing from the age of. I think 7 although I did find a little certificate somewhere that said 1985 86 from a water skiing contest which which would suggest I was 5 I think it was 7 <laughs> um uh, uh I was 7 and did water skiing my 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 brother uh 4 years older than me we both got into it and mum did it when she was younger and then we as a family had a little tin pot boat up in a place called Haverig yep. which is up in Cumbria uh and we used to go up and holiday in the caravan we used to play around in the water there was a ski school right next to where we used to play around in our boat so we got into water skiing and then from then on it became the slalom trick skiing and jump skiing which is called tournament water skiing in the water skiing world and we hit it pretty hard from then like literally water skiing every weekend contest through the summer breaking the ice through the winter wow trick skiing literally full dry suits full balaclavas and this is at the age of well well, from seven through to fifteen is when when I when I started weightboarding, finished finished water skiing. And yeah, every winter, just
0: plowing the boat through ice to carve a path for us to trick ski all the winter through. That's crazy. It was hell. And back then <laughs> it, boat skiing was pretty much all you could do. There wasn't any cables or anything like that. There so were you, cables. Actually the
1: um the first cable in the UK, uh, yeah. Thought Park, which people yeah. will know as being the one next to Thorpe Park. It's had a couple of different names since. It's been JB Ski and now it's gone back to Thorpe Lakes. That was 1984. That was round. Okay, so and then the early. National Water Ski Training Site, which was up in Nottingham at Home Pierpont, which is the National Water Sports Centre, they had a cable there. So we used to whiz around that on our trick skis and and um go uh, rope swinging off it at night and, and that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, uh But yeah, there were literally... There was Thorpe, there was the one at Nottingham, and there was Skegness, but it was it was Johnny Punter pay and play. Yeah, wakeboarding kind of wasn't around. So wakeboarding, um, first of all, I'm sure everybody knows this was scurfing. Yeah, it was it was a smaller surfboard, and then they ended up. I think it was a wind windsurfer out in the in, in the U S. and it wasn't a guy called Tony Finn. I'm going to get all the hardcore people <laughs> at me that says Tony Finn is very wakeboarding. He uh he propagated the sport by being the most heavily sort of into a promoter of the sport. It's actually in New Zealand. I've got, we can put these uh, yeah, photos up as well. Yeah. 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 Um, a guy called, uh oh, what's his Pat? Something, uh, Kiwi national surf champion was the first guy to have been recorded as carving a smaller, um, shaping a smaller shape, surfboard and putting straps on it. And then in Australia, uh, Uh, someone, Darby, I've written this article so many times, I should be able to remember it. (laughs) Um, They came up with a, um, uh, they called it a ski board. Okay. And then that went over to the States. uh, And then it was the surfer that got popularized by Tony Finn from Liquid Force fame. And that's why Tony Finn is sort of considered the godfather because he basically did make it what it is today. And then... The reason that wakeboarding was able to grow much more exponentially than it could through scurfing is that they then made the boards neutrally buoyant, i.e. they could be sunk below the surface of the water, and that was in the late 80s, and that then became a wakeboarder, and that was the rocket-shaped wakeboards at the late 80s, uh, and that's when it became wakeboarding was no longer wake surfing, and then we had the first twin tip, sort of.
0: 90s 90s after that and when did you first see it as a you were trick skiing and you were water skiing so I was I was I
1: was water skiing from from 7 whenever the hell that was and then I kind of seen it around but hadn't actually done it and then in 96 I went to do some water ski training so I was 15 at this time went to do some water ski training with some guys called Nick and Jules Heaney who were the first uh maybe even first European professional wakeboarders. And there were these two loud as you like Geordie lads, um, <laughs> like proper loud lads who was quite a, a force to be reckoned with within water skiing. Water skiing was too small for them. And they were like national champions in water skiing between them. And uh, I went out to do some water skiing with them because they were really good skiers. And I went to their ski school, which was just north of Newcastle. They ditched the skis. They'd started wakeboarding. So I went up there with my trick ski, my slalom ski, my jump skis. What are those? <laughs> came back with a weight My mum hated me.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: And then, uh, so I travelled back down with them to go to this water ski contest at the start of the year. And then there was another contest a week later that my mum, she used to travel, uh, drive us around everywhere in a motorhome to all of these contests. This contest was a place called Lound, which is over uh, East Midlands Way. And um, another lad who the year before was world junior jump champion. I was European junior jump champion the year before. These boys were just national champion. And this other lad, he'd sacked him. This was his last water ski contest. I rode in that ski contest. And then that night we stayed up all night and then rode uh, the mist in the morning on our wakeboards peeing off all the all the water ski crowd and then the next day i told my mom that i didn't want to water ski anymore she didn't speak to me for the rest of the day
0: and all the way home wow and it must because it was it was that sort of i guess it's like snowboarding and skiing at the time water skiing was a massively established sport with a recognized federations and governing bodies and all the rest of it and then wakeboarding was this young upstart cool kids coming in so was there that animosity between the two exactly the same as
1: yeah snow skiing exactly the same i mean for my mum's part i totally get it she'd <laughs> she plowed in pretty much everything she could into both myself and my brother and my brother had, had sort of stopped water skiing a little bit before that he was a bit older than me so he was going on to university um and then i was actually quite good at skiing um uh for my age but in order to you, you know with any of these sports it especially destination sports uh that are so seasonally based kite surfing being a prime example you've got to go somewhere if you want to keep yeah doing it the whole winter through and then water skiing that bit more expensive again obviously kite surfing kit is expensive but once you've got it you've got a boat in a bag and you can just go water skiing it's investment pay a ridiculous amount of money for a 15 minute set and just keep on throwing that money at the boat uh so to get over the hump Beyond whatever initial talent and time on the water you had, you had to be going out to the states non stop. And then, but by that time, I'd been water skiing pretty full on from seven through to 15. So, eight years, I just got into starting to socialize. I love my playing rugby, and so I didn't want to give everything to water skiing and then jump on a wakeboard, No one's doing it, and I can start flipping and spinning straight away.
0: Yeah, you're suddenly
1: like, Yeah, and moment. then these guys who I've looked up to who are amazing at water skiing have canned it. And I'm not getting help out of anybody. Uh, there was the usual governing body issues back then, which we will talk about more now. But it was it was sort of uh, favoritism from the old boys and certain people getting help and, and not and, and loads of stuff. But the, the upshot was I'd done it long enough. I was getting to a point where certain other people were just sort of starting to escape me. Um, an example of being that the 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 kids that I uh one of the lads that I skied against and used to compete against and, and beat, he's been like the best line skier in the world for God knows how many god knows how long and world record holder. I just couldn't have competed with the amount of time yeah. he was getting on the water and I mean, actually, forget all of that. I got on a wakeboard and I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, put That that, that was face. basically
1: that i mean, give all these other excuses, yes. They may have led me to this point, but when you've got the people that you've looked up to for however many years jumping on a wakeboard, saying "We love this. Look at this. I'm getting this board for free and getting these wetsuits for free," and although that's not by any stretch the be-all and end-all for a 15-year-old kid looking up to these guys, living the life, that 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 that, that was uh yeah made, made an impression and. Yeah, you get on a. You you get on a. I I love water skiing. I think it's great. And if I had more time in the water, I would still play around and go for a slalom because it's tough. It's a gnarly hard sport, um, and it's a good old workout. But wakeboarding, action sports, you don't have to pick a certain route. And, And yeah, after eight years of do, learn this trick, run the slalom course at this speed. Try and jump, jump further, further, further on a jump
0: ski. That's a little bit restrictive, and yeah, suddenly the freedom of a wakeboard—do
1: what you like. No one else is doing this. Yeah, few of us are doing it. It's fun. Oh yeah, there's a European tour this year. Come on, come on, tour with and us. So I was, that
0: was going to be my next question. Was obviously for you to progress in that new sport. There must have been some sort of tour for you to go and compete at, because otherwise, without a tour, without a competition scene, you can't become who you've become. So, so. in the
1: in the UK, it was very minimal. The first UK nationals. Uh, happened. I think it was like in ninety four, ninety five. Before I even sort of really got my head around weight because I would have been what 13, 14 then. Um, and and this was all. It was basically the boards had just started coming through. So all the people that were selling water skis, well, the water ski manufacturers would have weight boards. So O'Brien, um, people may know o- o- O'Brien in the yep. kite surfing world. It's pretty established water ski and. They made the mistake way back when of not changing their name for the water ski brand. So Hyperlite, people will know as a weightboard brand. They were HO. Okay. And they were HO weightboards for a time. And then it must have been about 95, 96, they changed their weightboard brand to Hyperlite. And a few of the brands did that. Um, uh, but, But either way, at that time... As was the case with snowboarding versus skiing. just brands just throwing money at it. Yeah. That's the cool thing. So uh, there was a European tour and these boys, Nick and Jules Heaney and another lad, Paul Price, who is this former world jump champion, uh, uh, they were going on tour and they asked if I wanted to go with them. For some reason, totally unbeknownst to all of us, my mum let a 15-year-old lad <laughs> go on tour with a 17, 18, and 19-year-old lad. And they got me to Nottingham. We piled up a three-door fiesta. Brilliant. All ball bags on the roof and drove to Austria, southern Austria. Wow. Yeah. That's a hell of a drive. Good times. Yeah. Uh, can I say that I got drunk for the first time on that ferry ride? Yeah. I got you drunk for the first time on that ferry ride. Yeah,
0: And there was, never looked back.
1: <laughs> Never no, drank again, obviously. Hated <laughs> it. Yeah, it was pre- it was pretty amazing. It How was... did you get on at the competition? So, back then, wakeboarding consisted of two styles of, of discipline. You had freestyle and expression session. Freestyle was you write your trick run out.
0: Okay. And you then go do have your to trick run. It. So, very
1: much to what I've been used to with water skiing, that was the same with trick skiing. You write your trick run out, you go and do that trick run. Um, and that's. There was, you get points per trick, and there was a little bit of a style element. I think you got some subjective scoring in there for how cleanly it was done and whatnot. It was basically, you bosh out a bunch of tricks and do every single one of those tricks switch, you do do well. Yeah. Um, that first event, I'd still only been wayboarding a month, so I'd, I'd had a couple of flips and a couple of spins. Uh, all looked horrific, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then they had the expression session, which is you get judged off the dock and you get judged until you get back to the dock, if you get back to the dock, and that's it. And so they would have double-ups at both ends, so people on uh, the kite surfing world, whoever's listening to this, a double-up is where the boat would drive around in a circle, and where it crosses its own wake, where the two wakes meet, it makes a wake twice the size, so you can go much bigger. And that's how these days... Well, even though they're doing off the weight now, now that the weights are so big, that's how the first doubles were done. That's how the 1080s were done. That's how a 12 has been done on a boat through double ups. So you'd have double ups included at both ends and you could just do what you liked. So I was took to that quite well. Uh, I was like the youngest person on tour and I think I made a couple of podiums throughout that year on the, on the six stops that we did, um, on in, in out of the, out of the full open division in the expression session and then I, I as a the, the, the youngest junior I, I kind of won the overall on the on the junior stakes throughout that year
0: so it was a good first Three, year so got first free, year you a European champion got free
1: got free boards that year got uh, got hooked up with o'neill at the end of that year as well and I mean you start throwing free stuff uh, at at a kid of 15, key. from just starting and taking to it quite well when you didn't get given anything in water skiing ever. Um, and my mum was convinced.
0: Yeah, so that was my yeah. next yeah. question. My mum was feel sold. After that, sold. Was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, sold. I, still, I,
1: I would love to have her, near, her here now and ask her what on earth she was thinking, letting me go.
0: Yeah, well, I guess... Because that, was, that wasn't
1: the only European trip because we did that and then that was in the Fiesta and then the next stop was in Berlin and we did that in a three-door golf. <laughs> so, you're uh,
0: just touring all around Europe with yeah, bigger boys It was ridiculous. Being fed beer and, along the way. No, no, not at all. <laughs> never, <laughs> just, never, never. Just
1: mainlining Red Bull non stop
0: for the entire And how yeah. long did it take for wakeboarding to kind of become more established? Like, when did the first UK tour start happening and when did it become accepted as part of the mainstream by the water skiing community? Oh, God, that didn't happen for a long
1: time. Um, but. From ninety six through to ninety nine, two thousand, there was I wouldn't say good money about, but there was certainly sponsorship aplenty for anybody and his dog to get a free board. Um which is always the way, kind of brands make a rod for their own back uh in just giving too much away to the wrong people and then at the end of it they think, Oh, we didn't get anything out of that, so let's not sponsor anyone. Yeah we'll get onto that right. <laughs> yeah. Um but th- th- it was it was like real salad days for the amount of support that it got and I think the first UK tour I think it was 97 but I didn't do much of it because I did the european tour for those first few yeah. years so I you're didn't do much at european
0: of, level so That was always way beyond.
1: That. <laughs> no it's just that that's kind of how it came to be and then there were these other events going on but so I started getting into them and then by 98 99 there were a, a lot of really good UK riders um the, the the French and the German crew were kind of the best um, boat riders at the time. Uh, French French and Swiss actually. The French and the Swiss were were amazing. Some really good riders in amongst them. Um, and then out of our little crew, we kind of held our own. Uh, after a couple of years, Paul Price he kind of ducked out of it. Um, but Nick and Jules they were full blown pro in the states. Own boards, own bindings living the life yeah they made it big big when there was
0: money about because that's and, kind of the states is where you need to go if you want to make it big in, boy, boy, in terms boat of riding financially boat, boat riding.
1: riding boat riding for sure um cable has changed a little bit because the states was very very slow on the uptake with cable riding it was all europe europe europe, europe germany obviously um and then the uk and france very much in there um but uh boat riding which was Basically, what weightboarding was then, it was all the states. If, if, if you if you wanted to make it, you go out, out there. there, yeah, Brilliant. really. Um, and Nick and Jules, uh, they had the added uh, once again. They they weren't the best riders, but they just had ridiculous amounts of personality, which um, stood out. Yeah in 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 the weightboard scene you got two geordie boys talking hardcore geordie at you <laughs> who look very similar good looking lads and quite good riders who can talk the game everybody wanted a piece of them so they were all red bulled and and uh, at the time mastercraft up and full-blown hyperlite with their own boards it was it's good so that was what i aspired to because I, I i grew up around them but i was still
0: bloody school wasn't i so that's the trouble isn't it yeah so did you finish school um, and then go full bore or uh
1: so uh where are we 96 um came on a back to school in september after that summer of so a massive downer but then <laughs> but then the funny thing was is because since i stopped water skiing it actually allowed me to get more involved in school because up until that point i was just away all the time yeah so I started socializing more uh, at home uh played lots and lots of rugby for school through the winter where we didn't really weightboard at all through the winter like I did uh, with the skiing and then um uh, yeah there the, the wasn't a training element to the weightboarding at all and plus the fact that um there weren't the facilities for riding riding boat so boat back then wasn't weightboard boats it was ski boats with a a, a, a yeah, pylon cool. with extension and just as much weight as you can get into it. Not many ski schools were into that, yep, so if any. There it. was only one at the time that you could go to, and that was the Keys, which is uh, nearer down this way where I am now. I lived in Birmingham, and that was Farnborough, so pretty impossible for me to get to yeah. and quite expensive to then partake in, in the sport, at least with the water skiing. If you were on the squad, you got subsidised skiing. That was the amazing thing about that. But there wasn't any of that subsidising or funding or anything behind anything to do with weightboarding back then. It was just commercial operations and this was the only place that was fully into into weightboarding. So how kids.
0: did you get to do all your training? Were you just riding at competitions when just, you just just up l- 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 <laughs> I did, pay your entry free and get driven around? Well for yeah. Free?
1: I, I was very lucky because I had this amazing grounding in water skiing which um just teaches you control on on the water and I could flip a trick ski, I would ski it sort of 34 mile an hour on a, a on a slalom ski which would translate into 40 mile an hour and you go left and right and jump more than 40 meters on a pair of skis so probably not too scared about trying stuff yeah and it just made it so much easier when your feet aren't close together and you're further apart and you've got a big natural wake start. and you can charge at it yeah it, it just felt really really natural um so I did do a, a certain amount of riding but but was kind of basically living off a, a certain amount of latent ability, ability that we yeah. built up from, from water skiing. And so I learned tricks quite easily for those uh, for those those first four years. Everything but a Rayleigh. First Rayleigh I ever tried was on a ski boat, no weight in it, small wake, low pole, shorts, rash vest. Pain. I, I, the first one I got away with, I got the board back underneath me and then went for the next one and ate... A village. whole bunch of yeah, fa- uh face. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then didn't try it for a little while and then tried it a little bit later and kinda of got away with it. And then the next one after that smashed it. It literally took me from ninety six through till two thousand for me to learn a No way. So anybody out there who's struggling freaking out about a Rayleigh, fair enough. Go learn it on a go learn it on a straight line cable and much better way to do it you than get on it a boat. Bit. Yeah. It's kinda yeah. your
0: signature move these days with a high five. Oh, it? I
1: love a Rayleigh high five. Nothing can beat it. <laughs> Nothing can beat it. <laughs> Textbook show waking, just as long as you go places where people don't know much about wakeboarding. Yeah, and it looks you, good. Then then they love it, yeah. It's always
0: the stylist <laughs> trick, isn't it? Wow, he's flying along. He's like, a superman. Oh, no. Wow, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I could do this other trick that's way, way harder. <laughs> and, and so as the competition scene was developing and as you were getting better, what was the what was the cash flow like back then? Was there lots of money being thrown around and things uh, like that? Oh, it was raining. Raining dollar, dollar bills. all no.
1: I mean, actually... Uh, so it, within that first year, because I'd done quite well, and actually through Nick and Jules Heaney, they um, uh, they hooked up a, a a board sponsor, a company called Full Tilt.
0: Okay, recognise that? I re- do remember the name Full Tilt. Yeah, they,
1: they were all the cool back then. So the the guys who won the worlds in '96, um, um, Mike Weddington and Kobe Mixich, they were Full Tilt. The girl who won the, the girl who won the the worlds then, Andrea Gutman, Full Tilt. They they were majorly the cool, but they didn't last much beyond that like the the following year they had good boards they had the first closed toe bo- boots these things called xtcs which were, were horrific but I, w- <laughs> I was riding them anyway just because they were the really cool but that that lasted through 96 and into 97 um and so for me like I, I got some board sponsor i got a little bit of money out of o'neill as well which was insane for for me at that age for a young kid yeah. yeah straight straight in the in, in the pocket and helping me to ride at events and, and train. So there there was there was money about. Um and the cash prizes were hundreds of pounds for winning an event. Um and that's kind of where it remained. Worldwide, yeah, it was big money going around right then. Like massive yeah. massive money in the States. They had uh the the, the World Championships, which is basically the American championships. Because they only only ever held it in America. The <laughs> WWA, which is the World Weightboard Association, which is not
0: the World Weightboard Association, which is the American
1: Weightboard Association. Back then, it was very much America, America. But now, it's like obviously they take into account the world and do an incredible, an, an incredible job at pushing the sport. Uh, but yeah, it was it was Americans and Canadians that were that were winning it all, and it was all in the states. And there was amazing money. Like there were, like from from then through to probably early two thousands, there were. We just heard of ridiculous deals being done just on single sponsorships alone. Like there weren't the energy really? drinks. That was before the Red Bulls Well, Red Bull was around then. No, Red Bull was very much around, but they weren't throwing cash around like they like they have done since. But the board sponsors, um, board sponsors and wetsuit sponsors, like we we're hearing deals of like 100 for a hundred grand per for for a rider for a per, per year. That's, that's serious and, cash, that's insane, isn't it? Yeah. So guys were i mean still in the grand scheme of things you probably weren't talking about more than 50 people making an actual living out of it comfortable living out of just riding they would have supplemented it with other stuff coaching whatever it is but still there was there was good money not that us here in the uk or me were ever in that field or and at that level of of riding at that point but that was that was the plan that was where i was headed so i in terms of school i i did a levels probably shouldn't have done it <laughs> <laughs> delay levels? It was just at my school. Everybody delay levels. I was enjoying the socialising and the rugby and uh, still weightboarding through the summer. But really, should have canned it at fifteen and just gone. Let's go. Learn a language, become an electrician.
0: You would have been set.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to end up having that conversation with the with the kids. Yeah, um, learn a language, learn an instrument, become a carpenter. You're made.
0: Job done. You job work done when you want. Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Charge a fortune for it. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've had quite an interesting career. And one of the things I want to touch on, which you mentioned there briefly, you do a lot of coaching. Were you involved in setting up the coaching schemes and things like that at the time because you were so talented within the sport? Or did you come to coaching a little bit later? No,
1: I I was coaching from pretty early on. Um, So I was coaching from the year I started weightboarding. Um, I mean a lot to do with the fact that there weren't many wakeboarders about not at a really high level. And also I'd been coached properly, if that makes sense um, through the water skiing, because it was quite regimented. It was, yeah. we had a coach and we went to go and ski with that coach. So I was kind of used to that. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And it was a way of sort of earning decent money. There are people out there who wanted to learn. So I was doing that from quite young. And then back then the coaching structure within the UK uh, was only a water ski coaching structure, so I did my water ski instructor's course, and then the current coaching program that we have in the UK on a British water ski and wakeboard is by far the best program in the world. There isn't anything like it, and it's the equivalent of of an AS level qualification uh, that we're or a diploma or something of, of of that ilk in terms of the work that's involved in the standards that are looking at, and it is the exact same structure that you find in 40 other mainstream sports. So if you do the first day of the weightboard water ski boat coaches course, it's the same as the first day of football. So now it's amazing. Back then it was no. Yeah. Um, so That's I was involved movie. at the start as one of the initial coach tutors, uh, assessors, and it has grown from there and British water ski have done a, and weightboard have done an amazing job of bringing it to where it was, but no, just, um, uh, just coached as and when I could in the summer holidays in between school. And then after that at 19 finished school, um, and then went to Australia in the, uh, November with a mind to hitting it hard. That was my plan. Three months in Oz, three months in States, blew my knee after a month and a half. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Didn't quite go according (laughs) to plan. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Didn't quite go to plan. So I was in Oz and it, it was amazing out there. That's where I let my radies. And, um, Black Diamond Lakewood School, uh, which is an amazing boat school just north of Sydney. Spent a bit of time there and travelled around, and yeah, had good times out there. But then, yeah, after a month and a half on a double up, gone, gone. Yeah, so back then they didn't do the um, they didn't do the um, uh, the hamstring grafts. Or if you had a surgeon over the age of fifty, they still did the old school patella open your front of your knee up, which was a much longer recovery. Yeah, albeit supposedly a stronger fix fix actually before that even in um I, I forget in 98 i um i did my cartilage uh good story gotta tell you this story did my <laughs> cartilage at an event just on a cable tried my first lip on a cable came crunched my knee exploded my nose on my knee couldn't walk it was my cartilage that had gone so i eventually had an operation which was a day in day out uh Uh, orthoscopy right then came out was all good the friday after having the operation on the monday go out partying with the mates as you do yeah um obviously drinking a bit and then midway point in the club wherever we were someone points down at my uh I'm gonna say velvet, but they weren't velvet. <laughs> suede, <laughs> suede trousers, or, or maybe maybe cord corduroy, yep. beige trousers. Maybe that because that was the cool then. Um, my knee was just caked in blood. My leg was caked in blood from the knee down. No.
0: So I'd obviously been stitches. dancing around.
1: It just swollen up, split, exploded, stitches, leaking. <laughs> Went um, got a lift, uh, got a lift back from my ex-girlfriend's parents to my house. Had to try and act sober in front of my mum. She takes me to a. the hospital. It's just like like a like a cartoon just firing out and carrying on firing out the rest of the next day fast forward to my follow up appointment got this hard lump behind the scar guys po- prodding it around saying oh yeah what's that pops Greasy. a bit of congealed blood oh, on the registrars lip. oh Boo. on his lip <laughs>
0: I mean, it's quite. It's funny that you mentioned that because I wakeboarders, I just associate with wearing knee braces. You know, yeah, it seems to be part of the course that you knee injuries go with the territory. I
1: mean, any, any board sport when your foot feet are fixed and the the motions involved are twisting, tension and torsion and twisting in opposite directions. That's not good for your knees. Um, and I know full well that wakeboarding is not the most dangerous sport. Yes, water is hard when you hit it at speed. Yes, it can hurt. Yeah, you can knock yourself out. Yeah, you can break stuff. But it, it's not like dropping out of the sky on your head on a on a huge boot or on a snowboard or doing a twenty foot stair set on skateboarding or BMXing. I get that. But the thing with 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 wakeboarding is that even when you get it right, the landings are flat and heavy. Oh every single time so you're just punishing your legs even when you're getting it right whereas if you get it right on a, a snowboard it or skis it should be a smooth landing and I, you, you could tell me different but on kite surfing yeah if, if you're if you're if you're getting it right you're landing at speed but smoothly Whereas wakeboarding you're you're on on cable if you're hitting a kicker on boat if you're going big and not finding the transition just
0: pounding just
1: it. it and within a set Imagine cable. You'd do two hours on the cable. You're going to hit a kicker a few times. You're just destroying your knees again and again and again. So the impact is pretty severe on knees. But then laser board sports blow yeah, knees out. That kind of, kind of standard there, isn't Have it? they
0: looked at like the technology of the boards to try and reduce those impacts or like anything? I mean, I guess it's one of those things. It's it's difficult. Like, but big
1: boards. Big boards. The cool is big boards now. Like the, the the biggest boards out there. Liquid Force are
0: doing like there's one. 161. Wow, that's huge. Monstrous, yeah. And then just because it's got that extra length and flex when you come down, it's got a little Big bit more Big boards make gear. it softer. Yeah. And, and spreads back, the load across yeah. the base
1: as well. I, and, and riding faster, actually, as well. Uh, if you find the transition on a wake,
0: you're good. Yeah, because it's a nice, smooth, journey. Yeah, um,
1: But it, on boat, if you ride faster, of course, if you get it wrong... The you get worked, but landing out in the flats at a faster speed, more speed, just makes it a softer landing. Um, but big boards is the way it's gone, and there is a bit of that that the flex technology supposedly dampens out the landing. Um, uh, I, I think I, I think that it's always going to happen. And riders have just become more like actual athletes than yeah. they were in my day so they could train
0: <laughs> themselves to be fitter and be able to cope with those kind of we landings. weightboarded
1: we didn't do or at least I'm not gonna cast dispersions on everybody else I didn't do anything else and more fool me because my body broke several times because because of it um I don't think you'll ever you'll you'll never get rid of it will you it's just i mean it, yes. it's like
0: like it's rugby. inherent of the sport. It's like
1: rugby's a good example, yeah. isn't it? You're gonna get How injured. much bigger are rugby players now? Are they getting less hurt? Probably not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's difficult, is not it? What was the worst injury you ever had? So it was Um I mean that was the biggest time out. The knee
1: out. And away. that was right at the worst time. When you
0: were just looking at making I I had a, I uh
1: won the European juniors last that, that previous year I had some good rolling sponsorship um, and, uh, yeah, was was all set to just go full on. And I distinctly remember, like, so clearly up until that point, just not thinking twice about trying tricks. And obviously it's, it's on me that I became scared of trying tricks. Uh, but it's funny how just that and that year out somewhere deep inside just kind of triggered something. Just in your sits brain. with you, yeah, yeah. Uh, and hey, plenty of other people have big injuries, get over it, go ride hard, and still learn tricks. I know that. It's it's me being a bit of a. Um, can I say pussy? Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but hey, yeah, that definitely sat with me because I used to learn tricks on on, on the reg leading up to that point, and. Um, after that it just did not come so easy and then it didn't come so easy because blew my knee uh January 2000 had that year out started sort of playing around on a board end of the summer and then then I went out to the states to join Nick and Jules Healy um who had a place out there in in february march spent a month out there getting into it was really feeling it got back a month later broke my ankle so I had that no. summer out yeah
0: so it just plagued by yeah right that's actually that's time. actually
1: been the worst the worst injury for still affecting me like my knees are bad yeah. but i still ride hard my ankle i got the nastiest old man ankle and
0: it just it's hurts. ongoing
1: joke with everybody my sausage ankles <laughs> i have to wear i have to wear secret socks all the time because long socks pinch too much Really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. I, I'm basically where tube grip. It's like the swear run down. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's still yeah. swollen from all those years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's actually um been been the worst one. Um and then uh then got riding again at the end of that summer. So that was that that's 2001. That year I was working at the keys all that summer, legging cast up on the dash. And then to, uh so so that year that I blew my knee in 2000... I, I ducked out of weightboarding altogether and I got a job in uh, in London working on a TV show called Rad. Do you remember okay, that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember Rad. that was uh, Christian, Christian Stevenson. Stevenson. Yeah. yeah,
1: so I'd met Christian the year before, got introduced to him through someone and through him got hooked up with Adidas Eyewear at the time and so knew him then. And then I blew my knee and then I knew he worked on Rad and so I got in touch to see if I could work on the show and just did a researcher. So that was awesome. And then... That was the first year of Wakestock, which I would have been riding in. And so I just said, Oh, do you want any help with anything? And I went up with my brother who was riding and they threw me on the mic. And that's when I started emceeing. I was going to say, Stock. Was
0: this the start of your emceeing career?
1: So that was the start of the emceeing. And then, then, back then, when there was still TV coverage of stuff, Wakestock was on TV. So I did all the presenting for that. And so that kind of rolled on from there. And I got more and more jobs. Or asked to do MCing, even though getting back into the weightboarding so at that point i was kind of doing both like dipping my yeah. toe in both not going full ball with either which is fine i mean hell it, it, it served me well but had i just gone screw that let's go to the states yeah you could have maybe been. maybe, hey, maybe. Who, who who knows but i didn't do that i did i did this um and uh, so, so that's 2000 did my ankle 2001 was working again, went away snowboarding with Rich Lane, because yep. I met Rich Lane and the, the whole kitesurf crew uh, in 2001, because they used to come to the Keys and ride. Um, and then we went on their board test in myself and the Keys crew. So a guy called Stu Mackey, who the Keys, and a few other people. We went out to, I think it was Teen, um, uh, on their snowboard test in like February 2002. Dislocated collarbone. <laughs> Straight out the front on like a rail.
0: accident out. prone person.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that kind of, that, uh, that was like, <laughs> that, yeah, that cemented me never getting any better at waveboarding. Um, but that was kind of like March, so that kind of screwed me up at the start of the year a little bit. Um, I, I think actually that was the last injury for a little while. Because then you were just MC. Because <laughs> I wasn't waveboarding. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to the same levels. And, um the MC in career is quite interesting. Before I chat a little bit more about that, just going back to the coaching. I've seen some pictures of you on Facebook doing some amazing, what looks like amazing things, like mega yachts in the Mediterranean. So that looks pretty good for me. Big outside. money surprising
1: me in Megan Super Yachts. <laughs> yeah, I
0: can imagine they can afford a few quid to pay well, you that, and uh, uh, it works out quite nicely. What's what's the score well, with that?
1: that? That came about Funnily enough, through water skiing, the lady who used to be head of British Water Ski way, way, way back when, her son-in-law manages a fleet of yachts. Oh wow! And they used to have this full-time weightball coach on one of the yachts for. So it's a, it's a, it's a single fleet of yachts. There's like six of them, owned by this, uh, this these two businessmen, um. One has his own yacht, the uh, 85 metre. One has his own yacht, the 65 metre. And the one who owns the 65 metre yacht, uh, his son was running into wakeboarding. And so they had a coach on board with them two months of the summer, all of Easter, over Christmas. He had to can it. They needed to find someone else. So this this lady, Jill Hill, thank you very much, told them about me. They got in touch with me. And, and that's how the super yacht thing started. And then some other work fed off from that. And then all my work with nautique who are uh literally not just the best boats for wakeboarding and wake surfing all that business they're amazing on the sea which inherently the the old school water ski wakeboard boats are terrible on rough water you just never even consider them these boats are good and so they've made real big inroads into the super yacht market where wake surfing is all the craze yeah and so with Nautique and, and through various other channels have ended up doing boat handovers and and coaching and training of staff and crew and, and doing that on behalf of British Water Ski as well, getting getting crews trained up yeah, to a certain, certain level. Yeah.
0: level so they can do it. Yeah, so that, that's just a totally mental world. It must be a completely different kettle of fish when you step on board one of those boats and you're it's, like, What the hell is going it, on? It's mind boggling.
1: It really. Yeah,
0: it's money on a whole other level. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh, it is ridiculous. Like you think we all know some people who are a bit well off. Yeah,
0: there's another planet. Just the, the... and you'll probably think it was quite expensive filling up my ski boat with fuel. Well, oh, busy... I think it's quite expensive yeah. filling up my van. <laughs> <laughs> and then literally filling up a 85 meter mega
1: yacht. Yeah, that would fill our vans
0: up for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. Um, and so the. The emceeing, you know, you touched on that. That's quite a big part of your career now. And it's something that I kind of see you at events these days and you're you're very natural at it and you're very good at it. Did you have to work much to get it or did you just find that naturally you could just pick up a microphone and chat?
1: You'd have to ask people that listened to me in the early days. <laughs> I might have been terrible. Maybe I thought I was amazing. I don't know. It, was, it actually evolved quite naturally, luckily, because most people who are really into a sport if they can talk about that sport to to a, to a greater or lesser degree. And and I got handed that when I got handed wake stock, which was quite a relaxed event. Yeah. I mean, the contest wasn't, re- well, actually to start with, it was fairly relaxed, the whole contest vibe. Um, So it was, here's a mic, just chat, wakeboarding chat. and a bit of smack for, 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 for two days over the mic. Uh, so that was really easy. And then, then I got some, other random jobs like Red Bull sponsored a, a ski jumping event called Red Bull Rocket Man and I kinda of knew skiing so I could, yeah, it was good. They they made this
0: Send it they yeah, <laughs> they just
1: made a ramp longer and springier, sent the boat faster and the rope longer. These guys just flying sixty meters on the skis oh my word it's pretty ridiculous ski jumping is <laughs> He's mental cool. yeah. yeah uh so i did that and then and then just a few other bits of uh, uh, odds odds and sods and through working on that tv show rad i kind of got a bit of a taste for the the filming and the media side of things as well so i was interested in that um, um and it all kind of worked together quite well at the time and then it ended up evolving into emceeing more and more events and then um, my, like a, a little bit further down the line when webcasting came into play uh, for the first time I was doing a lot of work for Empora like um, did uh, F- Freeze which was in London and yeah. the Oak- Oakley Arctic Challenge Freestyle CH uh, The Air and Style all doing the live webcast for Empora and that was when there was no other means of broadcasting cheaply on the internet and then more and more ways came about of doing it super cheaply. So that got phased out. Yeah. The whole OB truck and satellites and stuff just didn't make sense. So I had like a two or three years of doing that, but
0: great experience.
1: Oh my gosh. So, so good. Doing all those different sports was just amazing. And, and then I've done so many random, random sports, like done TV presenting for street luge. Um, Thundercat racing is a good one. Jet ski racing. I, I, I've done some surfing, um, then done voiceovers for magazine shows, like a, a show called IX, which was quite good, which is a magazine style show with various odds and sods. So loads and loads of different things, which has just been incredible opportunities, but it's always ended up coming back to the, the hosting. Yeah. And then the hosting used, usually, usually if it's a well run event and a tight media, uh, like package it will come with some, some to camera stuff as well Yeah, uh, and 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 that's where I've ended up very luckily with the Arena Cross crew or yeah, Arena Sports Live is the company so I um, uh, this year doing Goodwood Festival of Speed was my 6th year so where are we in 2012 I got the opportunity to do Bournemouth Wheels Festival which was um, like Freestyle Motocross yeah. and I didn't know at the time but that was a test run for the Goodwood Festival of Speed which if people out there aren't aware is what well, the Goodwood Festival of Speed which is a massive most people know about it but at that festival we have this big thing called the Goodwood Action Sports Arena which is FMX, Motor Trials, Man and Trials this year it was Flatland BMX, BMX and Man and Bite Dirk like this huge show um, in an amazing setting with thousands of people and then that first event in Bournemouth was a test run to do this event Alongside Christian Stevenson, oh, who had wow. headed up for years, so I, I'd done some emceeing of Wakestock and whatnot with Christian, um, and obviously worked with him on Rad. So it was awesome to work with him because he's incredible um, and it has been like alongside Warwood and Gendle and Ed Lee. Yeah. Christian is up there as All the presenters. Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 the hierarchy. Those boys sit at the top, right? Um, and so to work alongside him was amazing, and. Those guys also did Arena Cross. And then last year, I got on board with Arena Cross, just doing the behind the scenes and the Facebook living and stuff. Uh, and then this year, um, I, I took the lead on
0: on the Arena Cross Festival, which is amazing. And how do you find talking about obviously you must have learned a lot about freestyle motocross I'm, I'm sure it. a lot of the motocrossers would beg to differ <laughs> <laughs> Luckily cuz <'Cause it's> <laughs> you know that's quite a tricky sport to kind of commentate on because they're always doing kind of different things and you've got to know Oh freestyle mo- no, no freestyle
1: motocross is easy. Yeah,
0: freestyle motocross is easy. I've
1: been doing that the longest and you can learn the tricks. Yeah, so you know um, what they're doing. And I've been um I guess probably it was a bit nervous. yeah it was never hacking at the start um but with freestyle motocross, it's a little bit easier in, in in terms of it's happening in the air. It's actually quite slow. Yeah, they're in the air for a long time. <laughs> so, so you're can, saying what you see. Yeah. they're not spinning three or four times, which you'll see yeah, on
0: snowboarding on or yeah, like that. Yeah. super quick
1: or, or, or kite surfing, where there is a. I mean, I probably I probably could commentate kite surfing quite well um, if I learnt the, uh, the the kite movements. But the tricks I can I can call. But with with freestyle motocross, as long as you say what you see that's all right yeah and then i guess i did that to start with and then i know the tricks now and uh the 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 fmxs are actually a very relaxed crew in in terms of being too cool for cats about the calling of the sport because their sport is based on shows yeah not contests Obviously, at X-Fiders... They're not competing and, and
0: or... Even
1: the live commentator at x Fighters. would it matter if he was getting the tricks knocked? No.
0: No. Because you've got thousands there crazy just them. crazy
1: for it anyway. The the webcast commentators and whatnot, yeah, sure, and those people need to know a lot about it. But within a show environment, which is all the commentating that I've done, I've not done FMX contests, um, it's easy. You've got a crowd who loves seeing Vice It's actually probably one of the easiest commentary jobs to do because the, the the thing is amazing you can't help yeah. but have your jaw on the floor yeah. seeing so guys do what accurate. they're doing on, on bikes so I, I took to that quite well and uh, and uh, love the the FMX crew they've all been really ingratiating like this weekend I was just at the dirt bike show with the bull dump boys who make up a big part of arena cross and and then the racing thing is definitely nervous about taking on the racing for uh the um uh, the arena cross live because the, the the riders they don't care they're in the middle of the race yeah, yeah. they're not listening the <laughs> hardcore fans of which there are many in the world of m- motorbiking motocross. of course there are motocross and, and biking in general but motocross definitely there are some hardcore serious fans and as, as well there should be it's it's a big big sport so that is a little bit more nerve-wracking but actually within the throes of a race there isn't really any time to talk about the background to a rider yeah because yeah, it's yeah, happening so far. Well. Yeah. And they're always
0: changing place. So
1: And and now I've done um well I did and now, now I've done a couple of seasons of being in and around it. Once again, you y- you find the bigger the sport, the more professional the people are. Because they've got to be, because they're they're making a living. And they can't. If 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 you're walking up to them with a the camera and you want to chat to them, it's good for them yeah. to chat and come across well. The guys, I mean, let's face it, is any presenter gonna to want to talk to someone who's not that good at talking to them or is a little bit arsy no. so i'm
0: gonna consciously
1: or not I'm probably gonna steer clear of the people that are being a bit arsy to me try not to you've gotta be you've gotta be fair, but so they all get that um and so they've already been really cool but then uh, uh, like my experience is um with most of the, most of the most of the people that I've ended up working with like in the relentless days. The good old Halcyon Relentless days when <laughs> uh, they they did really, really awesome things within action sports and with wakeboarding. I was working a lot with the, the skateboard crew and the BMX crew, who, if you were to pick out any of the action sports, you'd probably say they're the most core. Yeah. They're probably going to be the people who would respect wakeboarders the least. Yeah. Actually, the guys who are the best at it, who are making a living at it, who are pushing it the hardest, they, they're actually the coolest yeah, they're pretty it's, chilled. It's it's that rung below that who are quite made it. f this f that. This is way cooler than that is. I mean, yeah, I I I am fully aware of where weightboarding sits in the hierarchy. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it it it's funny how you can be nervous about those people who are at the top of their tree,
0: but they're they're at
1: the top of their tree for a reason. Yeah. And And they're not that bothered about Well, I mean, then we come on to the sponsorship thing. Yeah, which is going to be my next question. You can't... There are those few rare cases where we all know of them in in lots of different sports where you can't escape that someone is just the best at their sport and whether they're a little bit of a dick or not, they're going to get the support and they're going to get to the top of the tree. Because they're that good. Because they're that good. And fair enough, they're that good. But for the most part guys who have the long lasting career in a sport they're actually, they do right by people and they're not dicks all the time yeah, just be nice (laughs) DBAD, that's my my new acronym
0: (laughs) don't be yeah (laughs) (laughs) and with the sponsorship that you mentioned there I mean you've had quite a few long term sponsors, like you've worked with O'Brien for. babe we're going to need some more beers ages Um, you've worked with O'Brien for ages
1: right? I am their longest standing rider I think, just barely standing yeah. They're um um I will I will rave about O'Brien to the cows come home um hence having stayed with them so so long like they've always made amazing boards they were actually the first wakeboard brand to have an impact base.
0: Wow. Yeah, didn't know that. Didn't know that. Thanks babe. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. Um
1: uh, way back when. And
0: that would have been quite groundbreaking back in the day when you're hitting sliders and kickers. Yeah, like
1: and just destroying boards left and right, hitting rails. Um, And then when was that? It was... Oh, come on. 2003, 2004. But what O'Brien are
0: very good at is marketing themselves. They're like... You touched on that earlier. They kept the name. They didn't do a different wakeboard name. Which... So they...
1: Yeah, they just have kept, that association with being a ski brand. So inherently, immediately, anybody who's looking for a brand because of the cool related with that brand is going to steer clear of water skiing and inflatables, understandably. And O'Brien just suffered for that for, for quite a long time and still do to a, to, to a degree. But looking at it from a flip side, as I have learned to do, uh, because obviously when you're eight board you want the brand that you're with to be the coolest brand going, yeah. you want them to do cool marketing stuff and you want them to maybe change their logo from the water skiing logo and whatnot. You look at it from the flip side and wait what it makes up. I'm doing a small pinch finger. Yeah. Tiny amount. Tiny amount impression with my fingers right there. Makes up a very small percentage of the sales within towable water sports. Uh, And O'Brien, they have what they call big box stores in the States, which are these huge, huge warehouses of stores that will We'll buy more wakeboards than all of the UK, and,
0: and <laughs> just and, in one shot. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: and they, along with those wakeboards, they buy the whole package.
0: Yeah, the
1: they'll, best. They'll, they'll buy the boots. The they'll ball. buy your ski gloves and your knee board and your, your your ringo and your your inflatables and all the various other odds and sods because it's an easy sell for O'Brien. So from that point of view, from a business point of view, Great uh, they're making the right call. Yeah, um, um, but uh the, the boards have always been amazing the bindings they struggled with for a very very long time and then over the past four or five years the bindings have been incredible and uh what has made me stay with o'brien more so than o'brien themselves is uh, ultra sport uh who are a pretty big
0: UK it, distrib- it, what, one, european not distributor not
1: european dist- the european distributor for o'brien and for a few other brands and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they're one of the biggest distributors in the yeah. UK. of yeah, action Sports. Yeah, yep, they're up there definitely. They're they're a um, they're a pretty amazing entity in in terms of the brands they've had for a long time, the support they've given me and a whole bunch of other riders across loads of sports. And when you think about things like they they Gordon Way and his brother who started Ultra Sport,
0: they basically popularized windsurfing. Yeah. To a large degree, did they not? Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I mean, Gordon's always been a passionate water skier, isn't he? As well, so I guess that kind of helps. He's quite into his weight. Just, just into, into it all. Yeah, He's into it all. He's definitely one of the old school guys. There's an interview. There There's the an interview for you. There is. We should go and chat, to Gordon. Go anyways. to chat. To I was gee. thinking of Graham Fuller as well. Oh, Graham. get them <laughs> two in a room together and just let them go <laughs> at it. <laughs> talk about the history of everything, and there'd just be sparks flying. That would oh, be really pick crazy. all of those. Very, very antagonistic. Ha, ha, people. Okay, just <laughs> say antagonistic
1: people. I was gonna. I was, I'm lucky you said that because might have slipped in with something else. <laughs> Love you, G. <laughs> in a room together, just let them have at it. That'd be amazing.
0: Sort it all out. So when you're you're being sponsored by O'Brien, you're one of the longest-standing riders, um, but you spent a lot of your career injured. Yay! By your, <laughs> by your own <laughs> admission. <laughs> You know, you've you've said it to me before, which' you you know, although you're Mr. Wakeboard UK to me, you're not the best wakeboarder in the country.
1: Screw you, Rue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how do you make that work?
1: Like, how? What do you do? Uh, with a lot of grief off a lot of people. Really. Yeah. 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 There, there have been some. Uh, yeah, like, it, it, it's funny. It's like people think. Let me start that sentence again. I get that some people out there are not aware of, of what they do and how it sits relative to the rest of the world in, in any field. They're completely oblivious. Um, me, I'm fully aware of what level my weightboarding is at, and i am always, always been aware of it. I have never, ever claimed to anybody that I've been the best. I've done well at certain events, and I've big that up. And then the emceeing the thing and the DBAD thing... Yeah. Uh, and the yeah just just kind of trying to do right by people don't screw people over talk to people if they want to talk to you which is you know that's pretty and, much it. It, it you know sometimes especially especially now i'm mc the last thing i want to, sometimes the last thing you want to do is talk to Anybody like when you came and said yes, hello to me immediately after a forty-minute show at Goodwood? Oh hi, it, yeah, God, cheers. Lost my I've brain. got a headache. Can yeah. I stop talking for a minute? <laughs> but but then you just brush that little bit of ego aside, and then you feed off the enthusiasm of the people around you, and then that's what brands buy into. There are so many really really good riders out there who are good who are who are good kids, good good people as well. But you've got to come out of your shell. Yeah. You've got to come out of your shell because you can do a few flips and a few spins. Big whoop. So can everyone else. So can everybody else. And even if you can do way more than other people, how many boards is that selling? Yeah. How many
0: wetsuits is that actually selling? It's yeah. not. Do you get involved with product launches and things like that? Like when Ultra Sport are promoting products or wetsuits, do you go along and you know put yourself behind that as well? Um,
1: I, where, where I possibly can, um, with, with, with ultra Sport, as I have got more busy, um, and had to diversify into other areas to, uh, feed the various mouths <laughs> bleeding me dry in this household, <laughs> um, uh, as I've had to diversify, uh, I don't get to do as much as I would like, uh, within, w- within weightboarding, certainly for people like ultra sport, who I would love to do an awful lot more with. I still work for them hardcore. I still push O'Brien and everything that old sport do as much as I possibly can. Um, but I, I, th- there is certainly an issue within, within weightboarding, um, where marketing is not as strategic as it could be. Obviously what, uh, I mean, you're the the prime person to talk to about advertising. (laughs) (laughs) Give room more advertising money! Yes, live Um, and die by it. uh, But when there were magazines, it was just kind of, you had to put money in a magazine. If you didn't, even if it wasn't actually benefiting you, it would have a a negative effect in terms of the perception of that brand. So maybe it did affect you badly, but no one actually knew. Yeah. But then when times are tough, the advertising goes, they'll still give riders money. But then this, this is my big thing that I said to you earlier in the sort of things that I want to talk about. Uh, the whole, the whole sponsorship thing is always reliant on multiple prongs of attack because one thing on its own just doesn't ever work. Give a rider a board and say, "Go do well with that." That will do you, diddly squat. And less it's a Parks bonafé or a Kelly Slater or a Tony Hawk or a or a a massive name or a or a, or a massive name, whoever, like, Aaron Hadlow, or... yeah, an Aaron Hadlow, yeah. All the old school names I'm remembering, and nothing current <laughs> and contemporary whatsoever. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it's funny because. Uh, It feels like, and this might just be nostalgia. It feels like because action sports has got so big, there is not the scope for you to have a Travis Pastrana, a Parks Bonifay, an Aaron Hadlow, uh, a Kelly Slater, because there's so many other people out there. Because those guys did it first, and they're still doing it. Yeah, (laughs) um, I'm assuming guys out there know who Parks Bonifay is. Yeah, he's still full blown Red Bull rider.
0: Yeah, and still shreds.
1: But not in any way, shape or form close to the same universe as what leads the way right now. But because he broke it when he broke it, he did well. And I think, obviously, not in the same ballpark in any way, shape or form before I have the trolls jump down my neck about me comparing myself <laughs> to Parks Boniface.
0: <laughs> right. I can just see the yeah. comments flying but, but, in right but, now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but, but like, bigger fish, small pond syndrome here in the UK myself and a collective of others we did well back when the sport was fresh and so established a name for ourselves back then when there was a lot of sponsorship when there was quite a lot of media when there were some magazines and we all kind of sowed our seed in the uk so to speak to establish ourselves but it's much much harder to do that for for riders now i would say in pretty much all of the sports especially in those sports that are smaller to start with kite surfing might be another yeah. good example would
0: that be a fair comparison yeah, no, totally. sport. Yeah. yeah it's super small kiting and it's as more as it's become more popular there's more people doing it so aaron hadlow was the first person to kind of be a young kid that made it and he won five world championships. So now you've got a lot of parents go, oh, we'll just make our kid a world champion and and we'll be rich. And so you get these young kids that are being made to surf, and sometimes in a slightly negative way because they're not really that into it, but it's the parents pushing the parents. But in a world where there's less media and less opportunity because there's so many more of these kids that there's no real chance for them to actually reach that level that Aaron Hadlow achieved because that's gone, that ship sailed, you know, the sport's older um so yeah i think you're right it's a kind of it's an interesting conundrum i guess that
1: that's not to be totally negative about the situation because i think for the savvy out there there are still opportunities you can still carve a niche for yourself you can still... do something different i guess that's
0: what you've got to do is do well, something slightly different or present do it 10 times better
1: or present present a company a brand with an opportunity to to, to, to fill a hole that they are not servicing so for example any one of the brands in our sports particularly the hardware brands how many demos do they do kai yeah, serving loads right yeah quite a yeah few. you can't have the same person from that brand in the office running every single one of those demos or at least that's not the case you can't there aren't enough people working for a brand to do that in the uk but if you've got sponsored riders you say hey look put fuel in my car give me 100 quid I'll go do that for you for the day. Indeed. Six, six of those—that's a little bit of pocket money for the summer. Um, and that's how—that's how you—that's how you, kind of how I work my way in, in terms of all of the, the sponsorships I had. And I'm sure some would argue, and I totally agree, I had to because my riding on its own didn't speak yep. for itself. I had to offer more than just what I was doing on the water, and I also felt that I had to offer more than whatever I was doing on the water, because. Even if I was the best in the country, that just would—that's just not offering anybody anything. Yeah, it's not going to cut so it. So what? You're national champion. Who sees that? Yeah,
0: not many people. Literally,
1: who sees that? How many boards is you being national champion selling that brand? That—that's the hard thing. Like if if you think about certainly with UltraSport, who who dish out an awful lot of product across an awful lot of sports. Um, they always said to me, Neil Staples, who heads up UltraSport, um, who's a really, really savvy dude um, and totally says how it is all the time and puts me in my place quite a lot. He says for it to be worthwhile, realistically, to make sponsorship worthwhile. Me giving you this board now, Matt, has to result in three sales. to the So three times the worth of that board, um, because it's not just them selling one more board to pay for that more board it is selling more than enough boards to pay the cost of getting that board over from the states to pay for the cost of that board on a shelf versus another board that we're going to sell that we would have made more money on and so on yeah. and uh it, you could try and sit down and have these conversations with a lot of riders but they don't want to know yeah.
0: Not interested. Not interested at all. Don't understand the business mechanics yeah. of it. That at the end of the day, shut up and give me a board. <laughs> yeah, I just want to free board and some stickers. Yeah, yeah.
1: But then, but but then, all is not lost. There are. This is just a word to everybody out there. There are niches and there are there are holes to be plugged with yourself. Yeah. If, if, if you pardon the graphic imagery, there. You um, just got to find that niche. Find,
0: find that, that hole.
1: Find, find that hole and plug it. goddammit. it. <laughs>
0: And in recent years, um, you've just sort of started working a little bit more with the national governing bodies and stuff like that. I know you've been working as a coach and various things, but you've become a little bit more involved. As your kind of pro career has kind of slowed a little bit more, you've become more involved with that. What's been going on there? So um,
1: governing bodies across all the entities is, is, is a weird business for anybody involved in the sport. I, I, I would imagine you get the vibe. Everybody moans about the governing body. Yeah. Pretty much.
0: Yeah. I know I have dude. done
1: constantly. Yeah. Like long time, like uh, growing, like I've been involved with the British water ski when it was just British water ski and not British water ski and weight So I've been there and, and seen it be the old boys club that it has been for a very long time. But then that's, that's, uh, that reservation about who they are and who are they to tell us what to do or how do they know what our sport is has to be tempered with the fact that nobody else is doing their job.
0: Yeah, that's the big kicker. That right? is
1: the big kicker. You don't like it, get involved. Stand change up it from within. Something. And there will be an awful lot of head bashing against a wall until you see a change. But there will be no change if everybody just moans from a distance. And once you start to get involved with a governing body, you have an appreciation for the monumental amounts of administration that it takes to run a governing body, uh, which no one wants to do. Those, Those people deserve a medal, looking at spreadsheets and filling in forms for for
0: uh memberships and
1: well not just memberships like the more i've got involved and it's been this past year that i've got more and more involved very involved with the coaching side of things but that's very hands-on you see the change happen there and then it's great and i, I love every I, I love all of all aspects of coaching um but uh i, I want uh british water ski and wakeboard to be more relevant to weightboarding. the perception is from a lot of people that it has no relevance and it doesn't give the sport anything. That could not be further from the truth. Um, and it's British water skis fault to a degree for not promoting what they do do really well. Things like the coaching programme. When when someone says, well, that doesn't benefit me. Well, indirectly, it, it, directly it may do because you may have had a coach coach you who's gone through this programme. It was far better coach than if they hadn't. And indirectly... It's making the whole sport progress better yep. and safer and more effective. Um, so that, that one is possibly a hard sell to Joe blogs in the street, but it, it, it's still the case. They create the, the standards and, and take care of the elements of safety that have to be in place to protect all of us. Uh, and then things like funding. People will get funding in, 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 in years. It'd be great. Take all of it, as you should. The funding's there. British Worski and any governing body, the people that get that funding through lottery, if they're linked to the government, I mean, like the, the BKSA is the yep, recognised body. Yep, so the they will have happen. access, whether they get it or not, depends on how effective they are with pen and paper, I guess. Yeah. But they have access to lottery funding, which unfortunately is Diminishing. being squeezed hard. Um. At the, at the moment, so all of these smaller governing bodies having to fight harder for, well less and less, less. Um, but people very quickly forget that money has been doled out, that people have been given grants, high-end riders definitely, so those, those riders should be the first to be saying, thank you British Water Ski for giving me all that money for a number of years, I'm sorry it's not happening now, but how can I help? Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and then understandably, people who are not in the elite, they think, well, where's our money coming from? Well, a lot of volunteer clubs, they get access to grants for equipment and yada, yada, yada. And the big, big kicker that has happened in in wakeboarding, and you mentioned it earlier about how uh, wakeboarding is possibly in a funny place because it's growing because there's more and more of these straight line parks popping up everywhere. But but why isn't it bigger? Which which is a a little bit of a misnomer. Um, Well, the reason there are so many um straight line parks is uh twofold. Industry weight parks, Tim Woodhead. Um he basically and Wakestock got the first straight line cable in to run the pool gap at Wakestock. Yeah. And from there then started installing commercial systems, which then became Tim and Industry Weight Parks. And so he has pushed the the sport further than anybody else in that sense. But also what got him going and enabled a lot of the installation of these parks was a massive funding that British Waterski got through lottery funding to help participation at grassroots level by increasing the number of facilities. And that was funding that got given straight. There's cash. Just make sure you remain a member for the duration of this deal.
0: Yeah, and Be, be, be
1: be an accredited site and do all the things that we ask you to do. Here's a whacking money. great big load of money to get you started. And, and that money, um, for, the, for the most part, for the majority, there are, there are two other types of straight line system in the country at the moment, weight station and then one just coming called Conex, which I think is going to be installed down the road here at, at Portsmouth. But for the most part, it's been industry weight parks and SessiTech tech who have led the way by first, by first coming up with this. Straight line cable system that works really effectively in a commercial environment, and Tim pushed that, but him hand in hand with British Water Ski. So once you get more involved with a sport, as much as you know it's um, it's it's sometimes death by committee, and things move slowly because it's run by a board, and it's it's not the same as a commercial entity. It's only going to change from within and. I'm in a position now where I need to find other things to do, like full disclosure, I need other work to keep me going, but I want work that's involved in the sport and I want work that's going to help with the sport forward. So I'm trying to get as many people on board with coming on board with British Water Ski by uh, working with British Water Ski and Wakeboard to come up with some new exciting initiatives that are specific to wakeboarding that the wakeboarding the mark, wakeboarding market much more completely than they ever have done at the moment. And so it's going to be uh, a full series of weight park contests across the UK. It's going to be a set of entry-level contests, really simple for clubs to roll out. It's going to be a brand-new website, which will be that new portal for weightboarding in the UK. And everybody just needs to bloody well get on board.
0: Yeah, and support it. Well, yeah,
1: definitely support it. But not just for the good of the sport, inverted commas, because they feel like they should – but for the good of the sport, because the good of the sport means for the, the good sport. of you,
0: because you're in the sport. Yeah. Yeah, it's that classic one. There's a there's a big thing in kiting that, you know, it, it, as it gets more popular, the beaches get busier. And you always see a lot of people going, oh, it's terrible down the beach today. There's so many kites. It's rubbish. We don't need any more kiters. And then you say to that person, well, kites come and go. So if you stopped all the people learning to kite surf right now and you had no more because the sport's full and we don't want the beaches any busier, then in six years there will be no kiteboarding because everyone gets families, people change. And how expensive the kit is going to get kit if no get, get. one's buying it. Yeah, yeah, if no one's buying it, no one's going to be developing kit, the kit's going to stagnate. So I think, yeah, like you said, it's really important that people do things for the good of the sport because without the sport being good, there is no sport. You've got your two boys, Kit and Jasper, uh huh, and your lovely wife, Sophie. And the last couple of years, you've been getting Kit into wakeboarding. How's that been going? It's longer than
1: that. I took him out when he was five months.
0: Oh, you took him out when he was five months. <laughs> I my arms, yeah. I was just holding him as you yeah, went around. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: yeah. Stuck him in a board, kicked him out there. Yeah, no. There you go. We, we were out in Amadavie at the cable, and it was like bathwater there, and it was chest high. Super perfect. I mean, he he was nonplussed about it. Didn't really know what was going on. It was <laughs> more going for, for a me. Ride. It was more for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because we went out there again the following year, and he, he bawled his eyes out the whole way around. <laughs> <laughs> um, Take me in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, so I've been taking him out, getting him to go out on the board with me for quite a while, and then got him out on the board itself uh, in his own little bindings just next to me at Lagoon Wake Park, yep. uh, which is uh, just outside Brighton, High Lagoon, which is a great place. To get into weightboarding and hit some rails, if you're into it, and loads of sports and windsurfing and everything down there is an awesome place that I go to quite a lot. Uh, and um, yeah, we set up two lines of the carrier on the straight line, and I just drag next to him, kind of holding him on my arm, holding the board in the right place. Um, but always when we've done it, and we've done it a few times, and it sort of almost let go, and he's almost getting dragged along. Um, he's all he's all he's all talk up to the point of actually doing it. <laughs> and then as soon as he's in the water is when, when, when are we going to finish? <laughs> so I've got him doing it and just basically got a couple of passes out of him just to sort of keep his hand in. Uh, and then the real turning point was this year where he got a ton more confident in the water, just did not mind jumping in and, and, and splashing around just in swimming pools and whatnot. Yeah. And then with the crazy weather that we had. Oh, there's another Winnie pops. We're, <laughs> we're not drinking beer. Um um i we all went up the four of us up to hannam's Wake hub, which is an insanely good cable it's like the best cable as an actual cable for Airtrix cable in the country and it's great for features as well and it's really good atmosphere and it's run by brothers ben and Terry and ben's wife jess uh and just just it's a it's it's a rider's cable. Yeah. As in the vibe, the just the whole the the whole atmosphere is amazing. Highly recommend it to anybody. Um, and they were having the nationals, so we went up a few days before the nationals just for me to get up and practice uh, and to go and hang out. And then uh, Ben Hannum's son is four, who's whizzing up and down the straight line cable on his own and doing laps of the full cable. Oh wow! With Ben by his side. Um, but then just before that, he was telling me that Ben. Uh, uh, uh Harry is now doing full laps of the cable kind of on his own at super slow speed. Uh which pretty is pretty awesome. Pretty amazing, yeah. At four old. years old. Yeah. He actually ended up riding in the nationals.
0: No way. Yeah, just, just the They experience. slowed the
1: cable right down and he went in the youngest age category, but just did a full lap yeah. on his own in the contest. It was amazing. Um uh so when Ben sees Harry going up and down the cable He's like, Let, have at it, and just straight away. And he was doing full lengths of the cable. Like, I'd get him started, yeah. and he'd do full length of the cable. I've been out on his own. So full props to um, to the Hannams, to Ben, for, for making that happen. And then I went back up to the Nationals the weekend with Just Kit, and he was hanging out the whole weekend with all of these other kids, just sort of uh, getting taken under the wing by all of the older kids just in his wetsuit all day long every day, in and out of the water. Loving it. Getting him doing body drags on the cable, jumping on my board to go and wet the rails down in between each category for the riders and just all over it. And that, that's, that's made the essential difference is that he was suddenly, he was a bit more confident and he was immersed in it and see all these other kids doing it and wants to be around it. And so for me, that's a little bit frustrating because I'm, I'm, I don't have my own park. I don't live near an own park. My, my own park. So I lots of places are really, really uh, kind in letting me jump on the cable for free, like South Coastway Park, like uh, like Lagoon, or if I go for a, uh, a boat ride or a cable at the Keys uh, that I mentioned earlier, where I used to work, or Lead Abuse's place, they all hook us up really well. It's all a distance, yeah. A and I'm not there every day, and my work is all over the place all the time, so I'm not with them. So it's a bit frustrating. I really wanted to get them on the water much more, but that made the difference. And uh, I, I, I think that's it. For anybody who's out there who 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 wants to get their their kids weightboarding or doing any of these sports, I think they've got to kind of be immersed in it a little bit yeah where they see it going on and, and it, it becomes, becomes more natural, natural and they see other kids doing it oh the way that i got kit doing it to start with is just on a stand-up paddleboard up and down the cable oh really
0: yeah just me sat that?
1: behind him on a handle and him sort of holding on then him standing sideways and holding on yeah and then him pretending to lean and then i actually put him in his weightboard on the sup
0: and then, and then went up and down the and yeah, the yeah. Sup. that's quite a good way yeah to do it.
1: yeah it was a really good way of doing it um uh, so, uh, I, I, and it's the, it's, it's the best thing. It is the best thing, um, them riding.
0: It's, Must be an awesome feeling. Yeah, yeah it is.
1: And, and then um, this year, I've, I've taken Jasper out for um, a wake surf with me. And then when we were out at Nielsen, uh, uh, we were just out on a holiday there at one of the resorts, which are also incredible. Highly recommend those. Um, um, and they do a kite surfing destination in Sardinia for the bulk of your fans, um, we went to their resort where they got an amazing weightboard boat, and for the first time, although it was a bit of a worker, I took both boys at once.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't last long. Yeah, <laughs> but
1: yeah, and neither of them cried, so... Oh, well, that's a bonus. There we go, yeah.
0: They were both happy. And when about, for you, when you go riding, do you still enjoy it as much as that first time you jumped on a weightboard? Do you still have that yeah. kind of passion for it? I, um. My riding has always been
1: boat riding. That's where I started. And so as far as cable and air tricks wise, I can do a whole bunch of air tricks, but all the stock basic stuff, like ready, ready, front flip, front flip, roll and roll and, and all that business. Um, uh, but when rails came along, I really took to rail riding and, and kicker hitting uh, much more. Um, so I can jump on a cable and go and hit rails and kickers and have a really good time. If I start trying to do air tricks, I can do my stock stuff, but try and learn stuff, then it becomes more frustrating. Boat is a whole other kettle of fish. Just because I I don't ride boat a lot, and I do love it, but I it it it's harder to dial into a wake than it than it than it is into a cable.
0: You're still just as passionate about the sport from when you started. Yeah. Great.
1: Passionate in a in a sometimes more removed way, yeah. Did that make sense? That yeah, sounds, that sounds less passionate, doesn't it? Passionate in a in a in a needing to be more objective way, and 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 definitely walking the tightrope between between being a rider and it being all about that, but then understanding the the things that need to happen behind the scenes, whether it be a brand, whether it be the governing body, or whether it be a weight park or an event host. There's 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 as with all of our sports, I say our, I mean free sports, action sports, um, well any sport, well any 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 enterprise whatsoever. There's a million one things you've got to take into consider, take into account. So a, a large part of what I want to do is try and just just get people on side with that, like understanding. Put in a little bit, and you'll get out a little bit, and. You might even carve yourself a bit of a career in the in the meantime. You might even get out a lot. You might even get out a lot. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have got out a lot, and it's 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 definitely incumbent upon
0: me to, to give back in some form or other to to uh, to repay the debt. Yeah. That's quite a nice point to end it on there, to put in a little bit. You might get out a little bit.
1: You might.
0: You know, don't just take from the sports that you enjoy. D-B-A-D, and... DBAD, man. <laughs> DBAD. Matt, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Rue. That was brilliant. So there we have it, a very insightful chat and a little look into the window of the world of wakeboarding with Matt Crowhurst. I really enjoyed listening back to that one. I recorded it about a month ago. Um, when I stayed over at Matt's house one evening and it was really good to listen to it again last night when I was doing the editing and just hear you know how much zest for life that guy has he's always full of beans and he's always happy to say hello no matter how many shows he's been doing and how much talking he's been done and I think you can hear he's definitely got the gift of the gab um, which is why he's such a good MC I hope you enjoyed it too And please, as ever, get these out there on social media, share them on various groups or whatever you do with things when you think it's good. If you think it's worth a share, please give it a share. Give us a five star rating on the iTunes app store or on Android app um give it a thumbs up on youtube you can also listen to these on spotify so they're just about everywhere and make sure you tell everyone that you know about the intriguing beings podcast had someone else say to me the other day that it really is like the desert island discs for cool people Um, and i think that's quite a nice accolade and hopefully you've been enjoying listening to them I'm going to go and jump on a plane now, um, but I'll be back next week with another episode. It's been a bit tricky getting the uploads done, so hopefully I'm going to be able to upload this at the airport by tethering my mobile phone. So if that all goes swimmingly well, then this will be online and you'll be listening to it today. Have a great week, everyone. Until next week, you've been listening to Root Chater and the Intriguing Beings podcast.